I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me first to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, the first letter of the Apostle Paul, at least in the order that it's placed in the Bible for us. And here in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, we get a kind of prologue into the whole work of the Apostle Paul as he provides us with a summary of the gospel that he was set apart to proclaim. And many of us are very familiar with the word gospel, uh, but it simply means good news. And here the Apostle Paul reminds us that he was set apart for good news, and specifically good news that comes not from any man, but comes from God who is in heaven. It's an imported gospel, a heavenly message that the Apostle Paul is now set apart to proclaim. So begin reading there, Romans chapter 1, just the first six verses. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So far from God's holy word. We're going to turn now in the catechism, the back of the hymnal we sang from. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 13. And in this section of the Catechism, we've been working our way uh, through the various articles of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, our Lord. And so we're going to discuss what it means when we confess that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and also our Lord. And those two things are taken up here in Lord's Day 13. So there's two questions. I'll read uh, the question and we'll respond together with the answer. So question 33. Why is he called God's only begotten son when we also are God's children? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. Why do you call him our Lord? Because, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, he has delivered and purchased us body and soul from sin and from the tyranny of the devil to be his very own. So far from our catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing sweeter than belonging, and belonging in such a way that you are loved. And many of the children here could attest to that as well, right? Belonging to a family, having parents, and not just belonging, but being deeply loved. Some of you were... um, if I could be sentimental for one moment. Some of you were at uh, Susanna's baby shower uh, recently, 
And uh, Laura has this, uh, mentioned this tradition, um, a Mexican tradition where the, the father will come in right before uh, the, the mother-to-be uh, opens up gifts. And so um, I walk in and I sit down and uh, the ladies presented me with a booklet uh, that all the men in the congregation had uh, put together uh, with various uh, wisdom that they had for becoming a first-time father. And, uh, so I'm, uh, and I'm just over, you know, overly joyed to receive that. I'm sitting there, and they then um, were like, well, you should read some of them. And I was like, well, no, it would take, you know, take too long. But then uh, I believe it was Laura or somebody had opened it up uh, to one specific uh, entry, and it was from my dad. And, and I remember um, opening it up, and the moment you see, I, see, I read, Dear Daniel, I'm like, oh boy, uh, tears, I'm like, too much estrogen in the room here. Um, but there's something so sweet about belonging, right? And, and part of that is being called by your name, to have my dad say, Dear Daniel, not even present at the moment, but just his words there. There's nothing more sweet than belonging and belonging in such a way that you are loved. And that's what the sentiment, that's the, 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 the feeling behind even what the catechism tells us. That we call Jesus our Lord, not merely because we are his slaves and we're under his rule and it's, it's weighty and heavy. But because he has made us to be his very own. Because we we belong to him. And Jesus Christ calls each of you who belong to him by your name. Dear Kelvin, dear Jackie, dear Joseph, dear Susanna, dear Gregory, right? All of these names, Jesus calls you by name. And for the Christian, there's nothing sweeter than that because it means I belong to Jesus and I belong to him in such a way that I am loved by him. And we see this reflected in, in the simple truths that are opened up for us in the Apostles' Creed and in the Catechism. If you've noticed, as we've worked our way through who Jesus Christ is, right? I believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus meaning that he is my Savior. Christ meaning that he is the one anointed by God as my prophet, priest, and king. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord. And as the catechism has opened up each of those phrases regarding who Jesus is, it's related to the fact that in light of who Jesus is, it defines who we are as well, because we belong to him. And that's the whole comfort that the catechism offers to us, that I am not my own, I don't belong to myself, there's no comfort in that, but I belong to Jesus Christ and I belong to him in such a way that I am deeply loved by him. And so all that he is, as Jesus, as the Christ, as the Son of God, as our Lord, all of those things were down to his glory and to the comfort of us, his people. All we confess Jesus Christ to be reflects who we are in him, belonging and loved by him. It's why when we speak of our faith, our faith is so exclusive Faith is not something that grabs hold of Christ and something else. Our faith is something that grabs hold of Christ and Christ alone. That's why in the Belgic Confession, Article 22, it says that the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts a true faith that embraces Jesus Christ with all of his merits, makes him its own, and no longer looks for anything apart from him. 
faith grabs hold of Christ and Christ alone, even as Christ has grabbed hold of you and loves you, even giving his life for you. And so as we think then about what it means to belong to Jesus Christ, two further benefits are are opened up to us here in the catechism. Our adoption, as we ourselves are children of God in Jesus Christ, and the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord. We are also purchased, adopted and purchased. But before we get to those specifically, I want to just work our way through the text to draw some of this out in Romans that we had read regarding the gospel that the Apostle Paul was set apart for. So if you look back at Romans chapter 1, we'll get uh, after this to those two benefits of adoption and being purchased. But in Romans 1, Paul begins by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, if you remember from the Old Testament, many servants of God had um, come about. Think of Moses, the servant of God. And they were those who carried out the Lord's will and proclaimed his message. And so Paul, as he declares himself a servant of Christ, situates himself along that line of servants who have um, served God's people on behalf of God himself. And specifically, Paul says that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. He is one who is doing the, the, the will and the bidding of Christ on behalf of him for the sake of his church. So Paul says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So what is Paul serving? Right? If you were to go to somebody's house, you might ask, well, what are they going to be serving? What's, what's going to be on the plate? Well, what Paul was called to serve to the church was, as he says there, the gospel of of God, the good news that comes not from man, but from God. And this good news that the Apostle Paul was set apart for, he says, wasn't something that just came out of nowhere, but it had been promised from long ago. And in fact, the Apostle Paul gives a, a, a whole summary of the Old Testament saying, all of it is the gospel in promise form. All of it is God's promise of what has come to be fulfilled in our day now. Through Jesus Christ. The whole Old Testament pointed to Christ. It was the promise of God. Now in Christ, all of God's promises find their yes and their amen. This is what he says in verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Again, the Holy Scriptures there speaking primarily at this time of the Old Testament. Now the new is included, but as Paul writes this letter, the new had not yet been written. And so Paul is saying again, the whole Old Testament looked forward to our day. It was the gospel promise, the good news that God would fulfill the salvation of his people. And this good news centers not on what man will do and not on what you will do, but what what his son would come to do. Again, verse 3, concerning his Son, right? So you want to say, well, what is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, at the heart of the gospel, its content is Jesus Christ. It is concerning, it is about his son, first and foremost, right? And so the gospel, as Paul serves it to the church, at first takes their eyes off themselves and their performance and their righteousness and turns them to Jesus Christ to consider him. And that's what we come to hear every single Lord's Day as the gospel is proclaimed. We are called to take our eyes off of ourselves and to set them upon Jesus Christ. 
the author of Hebrews tells us that we are to look to him who is the author and the perfecter of our salvation as we run the race that is set before us. And so the gospel is concerning his son. And well, what about his son? Paul is set apart for this gospel concerning his son, promised from long ago. Well, he goes on to say in the middle of verse 3, to, if I could just summarize it before reading it, he speaks here of the humiliation and the exaltation of his son. His humiliation unto death, his exaltation in resurrection and ascension. Notice what he says. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And so we're going to say more about this in the second service when we look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that uh, Palm Sunday long ago. Uh, But here, he's spoken of one who has descended from David according to the flesh. The flesh is highlighting the weakness that he took upon himself. Paul in Philippians 2 says something similar when he says that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. And being found in the form of a servant, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul here is highlighting the weakness that he took to himself. The humiliation that the Son of God endured at the heart of his gospel. That's why Paul will say that we want to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. It is the weakness, the humiliation of the Son of God, knowing that he's being humiliated unto death, not because of anything that he had done, but as one who suffered on behalf of his people. He is there enduring the curse that his people had incurred. Descended from David according to the flesh. And in many ways, you might ask, well, why does the Apostle Paul, when he's highlighting the the work of humiliation that Christ endured, why highlight David? Why not highlight Abraham? Or why, why David? Well, first off, David was the royal son, the one whom God promised that through him a king would come who would save his people. Now, the kind of king that they expected was one that uh, Jesus did not meet, at least the people expected. They expected a triumphant king, a militaristic king, a nationalistic king, But Jesus came humbly riding on a donkey, as we're going to see. But more than that, what Paul is highlighting here, I think, is that in the same way David received the kingdom, that same pattern Christ now fulfills as well. Remember, David is set apart out of all of the sons of Jesse, right? And he's to receive the kingdom. And he's brought into Saul's courts. And Saul becomes jealous of him and begins hunting him. And David is on the run. And yet God had promised him the kingdom. You might say this is an odd way for the Lord to give David the kingdom. He's on the run, hunted by Saul, to the point where he has to leave the land of promise. And David, reflecting upon that in the Psalms, will often speak of his leaving the land of promise as entering into the grave. Because the land of promise was where life was had. It was where the presence of God was. To leave that was to enter, in a sense, the grave, to go into death. And again, as we read about David receiving the kingdom, we might say, well, again, this is an odd path for him to take, for him to receive the kingdom. And yet through David's humiliation, hunted by Saul, leaving the land, that God gave him the kingdom. 
And when David is called back into the land and established upon the throne by God, it is as if he was raised from the dead. And so that same pattern of humiliation unto exaltation, of suffering unto glory, of cross unto crown, that David patterned is now one that Christ himself fulfills here. This is at the heart of the gospel that God has given Paul to serve the church concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. And like David, he too was raised and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. That just as David through his humiliation was exalted, so Christ was exalted in his resurrection, made to be king of kings, lord of lords, given all authority in heaven and on earth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was his coronation. It was his being raised as king to now assume the throne and establish his kingdom, which we are members of even today. The gospel that Paul is set apart for is a gospel that belongs to the kingdom of God. And we today, as those who have believed that message, are made citizens of that kingdom. And as that gospel, as that good news of the kingdom of God goes forth, people are brought in now to belong to Jesus Christ, right? That's what we've been working towards from the beginning here. Verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Why is it good news? Because through this message, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who were far off are now brought near. And you who were far off, belonging to yourself in your sin and misery, through that gospel message, God has made you now to belong to Jesus Christ. And to belong to Jesus Christ in such a way that you are deeply loved. And that means that as you belong to Jesus Christ, all that Christ has won for you, all that Christ has done for your salvation is now given to you. It reflects the heart of Christ himself. Right? He receives the kingdom to have subjects and people belonging to him. And he is a gracious king, a loving king who showers gifts Upon his people. All that he has, he brings you to share in with him. The glory that he has obtained is yours because of him. And that is why, as we think upon who Christ is, I believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, our Lord. All of those statements become for us a mirror in which we then see ourselves. As I look upon who Christ is, I begin to see who I am in him because, again, all that he has obtained is now mine. I belong to him, and I'm being conformed more and more into his image. And so part of that then means, as we come to what the first thing the catechism draws out, is our adoption. Christ alone is the natural, eternal Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. There was never a moment when the Father was without His Son. 
Christ was the eternal natural son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God. Adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. So as his gospel goes forth and we come to belong to him, part of what that means is we are filled with his spirit. The spirit of sonship. The spirit of the very son of God that in him we might cry, Abba, Father. This is what Paul says later in Romans. Anticipated here in Romans 1, but later in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 and following, it says here, Speaking to the church, to those who have believed in Jesus Christ, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Or as we said, how the pattern for David receiving the kingdom was one of humiliation unto exaltation, and the pattern for Christ receiving the kingdom was one of humiliation unto exaltation. So the pattern for the Christian to receive the kingdom is one of humiliation unto exaltation. And the exaltation is guaranteed because Christ has been raised from the dead. And the Spirit of Christ, the Son of God, is in your heart testifying that you are a a child of God. By, By the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father, with great confidence that though we suffer, yet we shall reign with Christ forever and ever. That is the mark of our Sonship. And therefore, as sons of God, though we may go through trial and tribulation, yet we know that we are loved by God still, for nothing in all of creation can separate us from his love, because we belong to Jesus Christ. And we know that all that we endure is working together for our good, as, Paul, as God promises us through the Apostle Paul. God promises to work all things together for the good of those who love him, And are called according to his purposes. And so we are in Christ because we belong to him, adopted and receive full sonship to call upon God as our Father. And also, the second benefit highlighted is that we call him our Lord. We have been purchased. Catechism says, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood. He has delivered us and purchased us, body and soul, from sin and from the tyranny of the devil to be his very own. This is what the gospel goes out and proclaims. That those who come to Christ by faith, he will receive. And he will receive them as his own. And all who do come to Christ know that they have been purchased. That his blood shed on the cross was, was, was a payment that their sins might be forgiven. And the hold that Satan had over them, one of tyranny, might be broken. And they might then be transferred into his kingdom where he is Lord. And with great joy in our hearts, we call upon Christ as our Lord. Not from a heart of slavery. Paul says that in Romans here, right? He doesn't give us a spirit of slavery, but one of adoption, one of sonship. And so we call upon Christ not as one who is oppressive, heavy-handed, but one 
who has loved us to the very end. And one who cares for us deeply. And one who has shared all the riches of his kingdom with us. So that as we confess in the previous Lord's Day, that we will one day reign with Christ over all creation forever and ever. And so that is the great comfort. That is the good news that is proclaimed week after week throughout this world. That we are not our own. But we belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the heart of God's covenant of friendship with us as people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so as we then think about what it means to be, being, to be conformed to the image of Christ, and what it means to be growing in maturity as Christians, it means that more and more I am looking away from myself and seeing myself in Jesus Christ as in a mirror. It means more and more that I am understanding that Christ is all in all. That Christ is at the heart of all that I am to do and say. That Christ is the one to whom I ultimately belong. Maturity in Christ is one of growing in all of these things and understanding who Christ is. Paul says this, for example, as we come to a conclusion in Colossians 1. Talking about the gospel he was set apart for. A gospel concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says in Colossians 1.28, Him, speaking of the Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Maturity is found as we grow in our union with Christ in terms of who he is as our God. And therefore, there's no sweeter thing to hear as God's people than to hear that I belong to Jesus Christ. I belong to him in such a way that I am loved, and I'm loved eternally. And so there's a, it was just recently St. Patrick's Day, whether we should recognize that or not, but the Irish certainly do. (laughs) But um, there's a prayer that's often attributed to St. Patrick, and it goes like this, Christ with me, Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Salvation is of the Lord, salvation is of the Christ. May your salvation, Lord, be ever with us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to hear the good news that those who have believed in Jesus Christ belong to him. And we belong to him in such a way that we are deeply, eternally loved. Thank you for the love of Christ. Father, may we rest in Christ then. And may we grow in maturity, press on into Christ who is our head. And may Christ be as we have heard all around us before us, beside us, in us. When those who speak with us, may they hear Christ in us. When those who look upon us, may they see Christ. May Christ be the one whom we seek to honor and glorify, to live for today and forevermore. We pray this all in his name. Amen.